The title of my message this morning is Looking Down the Road. Looking Down the Road. If you'll join me in Psalm chapter 90, as I've just prayed through that psalm this morning for us as we start our time together in the Word, um, we're going to, to look down the road. Um, in the back of the room back there, you can see it because the seat, uh, everybody followed the instructions. In the back of the seat back there, uh, row back there, there's a little yellow sign that says reserved. You may have seen it when you, when you come in this morning. God has an amazing way of working in full circles, doesn't he? Church, doesn't he? Thanks. I, I do better when you talk back to me. God has an amazing way of working in full circles. Back in 2002, 2003, sometime around there, I sat in that chair, thereabouts. And I asked Krista to print up a sheet that says reserved for 19-year-old me. I wanted to hang it on that chair to remind myself of how God works in full circles, of how he works in ways that we would never imagine. I have a vivid memory of sitting somewhere in that section where that seat is and looking at this heater up here. I had to ask Scott what that was, this thing hanging down. And I remember thinking as a sophomore or junior here at Appalachian State, what if that thing falls right in the middle of the service? I don't know why that occurred to me, but it did. What if that thing falls? And I remember staring at Scott up here and he was, Pastor Scott, and he was preaching through the gospel of Matthew. How many of you were around for the gospel of Matthew? Okay, I was, but it was a short little span. But I would have fallen out of my chair if you came to me after that service and you said, young man, come here a minute. Yes, sir. You're gonna stand on the platform in 16 years and you're gonna preach the last message that this church gathers in this room to listen to. I said, you, you, you came to the wrong chair. You got the wrong guy. He, he's, he's a row over, he's two rows back. He's somewhere in the front because I stumbled in the back this morning. You got the wrong guy. Believe me when I say this, I'm every bit as surprised as you are. The reason I say these things though is not to call your attention to the fact that, that I'm here, but to call your attention to the fact that God works in ways we would never imagine, does he not? He does things we would never think to put into the game plan. He, pick, he picks people to be in his starting five that we would cut from the team. But he's always at work. Sometimes in spite of us, he's always at work. He's worked in the past, he's working right now, and his work is going to continue among his people for generations to come until the Lord Jesus comes back, Philippians 1, 6 tells us. And so today I wanna talk to you about God's ongoing work among his people and how you can join him in prayer as we anticipate moving into that new space. How do we join God in what he's doing? So I wanna start with a question. In all of our excitement about sitting in those seats, they're gonna fold up. You will never have to stack. Wait, y'all are first service. Y'all are not third service. Third service has to stack them. You'll never have to stack them. They will fold up when you get up. My kids are so excited about a chair folding up because they have to come to third service. And all of our excitement about this, have you thought about the future generations of people that will sit in those chairs in 20 or 30 years when most of us are gone if Jesus does not come back first? I want him to, I want him to. But think about people that will sit in that room and hear the gospel for the first time in their lives and repent of sin and come to faith in Jesus Christ and become one of his sons, one of his daughters, like we've heard this morning. Think about the marriages that are healed as the scriptures are unfolded and the Holy Spirit falls in that place and people come together and are reconciled. Think about songs that are sung. Hunter, the worship team, 
Think about songs that are sung that lift up the sagging shoulders and the countenance of a brother or sister who walks into that room in pain on a Sunday morning. Think about little fifth grade kids that will walk in there with their mom and dad with the lid on their coffee cup. And they will go to the mission field because they hear the call to take the gospel to the nations. At the end of this great prayer in Psalm 90, Moses helps us look at what God is doing now, but down the road to his ongoing work among his people. And I wanna give you three quick ways to pray to that end, verse 16. Look at it with me. Moses prays, let your work, let your work be shown to your servant. Stop right there. We know God's at work, don't we? You wouldn't be here this morning if God had not been working in your life. Sometimes God works in ways we can see, and sometimes he works in ways we can't see. And sometimes we get in the way and we can't see what God's doing because of maybe a particular struggle of sin in our lives. But the fact is, we need the eyes, the spiritual eyes to see the spiritual work of God all around us. That's what Moses is asking for. God, give us spiritual eyes to see your spiritual work all around us. That's what he's praying here in 16a. When I was in fourth grade, I was in the yard. This is a vivid memory too. I was playing baseball with my dad. It's weird playing in the same yard with my five kids now. It's wild, you know, full circle, right? Playing baseball with my dad and my eyesight had gotten so poor and I, I guess I had just adjusted to it. You know, you just learn, I can't read that label, it's blurry, you know? I can't drive my go-kart through the yard today. It's a little blurrier than yesterday. And I was a pretty decent little baseball player. I made several all-star teams and my dad's pitching the ball at me and he's throwing it and I'm just missing, just missing. I mean, missing. And he says, son, hit the ball. I said, dad, I can't see it. Son, hit the ball. You were hitting it yesterday. Hit the ball. Dad, I can't see the ball. Well, you were hitting it yesterday. I know, but I can't see the ball. So he takes me to the eye doctor and they do that thing. Is this better or this? Is that better or that? You know, I'm like, come on. I know I can't see. Just tell me how bad it is. And the doctor literally explained, your son does not have the eyesight to see the ball coming at him. This is what his eyesight looks like. I had 2,400 vision. If I fouled one off, I was doing good. (laughs) Moses is asking for eyes to see God at work. We need the very same thing. 1 Corinthians chapter two, Paul tells us that spiritual things are spiritually discerned in your natural mind, in your natural state. You cannot discern the spiritual work of God around you. You just can't see it. God has to open our eyes. One study note says this, show your love to your people and great deeds of power, listen to this, that enable them to flourish. Think about that for a minute. Your ability and my ability to flourish in this life is in part at least, maybe more than we think, it is in part at least dependent on being able to see the work of God in our lives, is it not? What does it do for your faith when you see God at work? When you see some sin fall in your life, when you, get, when you walk out in victory in some place in your life, when you watch a brother or sister come to faith in Christ, when you see something happen in your life, in your marriage, in a situation you thought was too far gone, that 19-year-old back there in the back will never stand on the platform and deliver the word of God. Psalm 77, 12 through 14 says this, I will ponder all your work 
I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among your people. But you know what 2 Corinthians tells us? This is second now. It says the God of this age has blinded. The God of this age has blinded the minds of those who have not believed the gospel to keep them from seeing the goodness and the glory of Jesus Christ. He's put blinders over their eyes. Satan wants to keep unbelievers in the dark and he wants to blur the vision of believers so we don't see how good God is and we don't long for more of him. So Moses prays, show us your work. Let it be shown to your servants. Give us eyes to see. The second prayer is this in 16b. It's a prayer for future generations. For future generations who will sit in those chairs upstairs, not down here, to have the same spiritually sharpened eyesight. Look at 16b. After he says, show it to us, he says, show it to them. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their, their children. See, the prayer shifts from help us to help them. Sometimes what we need is less help us and more help them. Who are the them? The future generations that are coming behind Moses, the man of God. My family sat yesterday and we read the end of Exodus and we talked about Deuteronomy, the end of Moses' life and how Moses was told by God, you're going to die and Joshua steps in and Moses never saw all the things until much, much later, I suppose, in glory that he had been leading toward. You know why? Somebody else sat in his seat. Somebody else is gonna sit in your seat one day. The seat you sit in and communication is called secondary territory. You're gonna to go to a spot up there next week. You're gonna sit in it and your mind says, it's mine. It's not, it's not. I don't care how many times you write your name under the bottom of it, it's not yours, okay? The Jews told stories of their past to preserve their rich heritage, all that God had done. But those stories weren't just to hang on to some memory in the past. Those stories were told for the purpose of preparing future generations to walk with God in faithfulness, to keep his commandments, to live within a covenant relationship that God had set up. Let me give you two examples. Deuteronomy 6, the Shema. In that he says, teach your commands diligently to your children. He's saying, pass on the baton of faith to those who are coming behind. Psalm 78, four through seven. Listen to this. This is good. We will not hide them from their children, their children, but we will tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. He has established a testimony in Jacob. Jacob means deceiver, supplanter. Israel means God will fight. He put a testimony in a deceiver and changed his life and fought for that man and fought for his people. Who gets the credit? God does. He's appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded to our fathers to teach their children that the next generation might know them. Listen to this, the children yet unborn and arise and tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the work of God, but keep his commandments. That's a good place to amen. 
Moses is saying, God, let them see your work. Give them the eyes to see all the things that we've been blessed to see. Would you not love, would you not love it for my grandchildren to see the things happen up there that you've seen happen in here? Man, what a prayer. I read about Vance Havner. I think his dad was a deacon in a, a little Baptist church somewhere. And they would have visiting preachers who would come in and would sit down on Saturday nights. And Vance Havner, if you don't know who that is, he's from North Carolina. He's been called the most quotable preacher in history, I suppose. Quotable preacher someplace, maybe in North Carolina, I don't know. I'll look that up in between services. But he would love to sit down with his dad. He would stay up late on Saturday evenings listening to the, the, the visiting preacher recount stories of God's work with his dad. And he would just listen. This young little boy who would grow up and proclaim the gospel would listen to this visiting preacher and listen to his dad talk about the good work that God had been doing. And he said, I love those memories. I hang on to those memories. I store them up in my heart. They stayed with him. They built his faith from a young age. And listen to me, they sharpened his spiritual eyesight. He learned to see the fingerprints of God around him. Lord, give them eyes to see your work. But third, in verse 17, Moses Praise a prayer for God to prosper and establish our efforts. Essentially for God to do the work. He says, let the favor of the Lord our God, let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. I love this verse. I used to pray this with my kids sometimes in the morning when they were going off to school. They went to a little school when our fifth one was born and I had my two in the back seat and I would pray, Lord, establish the work of their hands today. Make it steady, make it strong, help it to stand on its own with success. Because listen, without God's blessing, our best efforts come to nothing, nothing. The word favor in verse 17 can also be translated beauty. Let's read it with that, listen. Let the beauty of the Lord God be upon us. Let the beauty of the Lord God be upon us. Spurgeon said this, it would be enough if we were to see the lovely excellencies of our God cast his shadow of sacred beauty on our works. Let me read that again because I know it's early. It would be enough if we were to see the, the lovely excellencies of our God cast his shadow of sacred beauty on our works. Would that be enough for you? If you saw God cast his lovely excellencies of his beauty and his favor upon your work, would your heart be settled this morning? Would your heart be happy? Could you rest and be content? God, let your favor, let your beauty be on all the gospel work we do. Let it be on our families, Lord. Let it be on our service, Lord. Let your beauty, let your favor be on our giving. Let it be on our praying. God, do this for us. You know why we need God to do it for us? because we can't do it on our own. Jesus told his disciples that same thing in John 15. What did he say? Apart from me, you can do what? You know what nothing means? No thing. You can do no thing apart from the help of God. Nothing that's gonna last. Unbelievers can, be, can do good things. We're not gonna do any God things though unless the Holy Spirit comes and helps us. We can't do it on our own. I went to a conference one time. I'm gonna put this in air quotes. A Christian conference drove me up a wall. It's where God called me to preach. Truly. 
And they had all the 12 to 18 year old boys meet at the back of this auditorium. And they began playing this song. They cranked it up by Tom Petty. Stand me up at the gates of hell and I won't back down. And they marched these teenage boys down the aisle and these grown men are clapping. You can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And there was a fire that was, man, I wanted to run and tackle that man on the stage. If I'd have been a little bigger, I might would have tried it. I stood there in disbelief and anger. As best I know my heart, I think, I think, a righteous anger because I'm looking at these teenage boys thinking they can't do it. They can't do it. He, he preached Ephesians 2. He skipped 1 through 3 about how bad we are. He skipped 4 through 9 about how good God is. And he went to 10 and said, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. There is no 10 without 1 through 3. There is no 10 without 4 through 9. There is no glory without the gospel of Jesus Christ. I way prefer Rich Mullins' lyric to Tom Petty's. Here's what Mullins says. We must be awfully small and not as strong as we think we are. Have you, have you felt your smallness? Have you felt your fragility? Have you felt your frailty? We know we can't hack it on our own. In our 20s, we're on top of the world. Then a few decades later, somebody has to bend down and strap the Velcro over our shoe. I'm right. We need God to bless and establish the work for us if it's gonna last. Charles Spurgeon said this, we come and go. We come and we go, but the Lord's work abides. We are content to die so long as Jesus lives and his kingdom grows. Is that the posture of your heart this morning? That's what we want to fill that room next week. That's what, God, give us eyes to see that. Give them eyes to see that and do the work for us. See, next weekend is not about us. It's about God. It's about the work he's gonna do in that room as his name is lifted high and people fill that place to lift up the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what next weekend is about. It's not about us. Let me ask you, what's gonna be the real win? What's going to be the real win? The real win is this for God to show his power and his work to us, for God to show them his power and his work. And third, for God to please, please, please God do this work for us.